Well, we are in, as you guys know, we're in, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians, and um, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7 is where we're going to be today, and uh, we're going we're gonna to just kind of dive right in. I, I was, of course, I got sick this week. Um, it's, it's so interesting what happens in, in moments like this, because I have these moments where I, I start getting into things, and I go, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into this, let's really get after it. And I was thinking that last week, as I was in, in, uh, in chapter 6, and then um, it was last Sunday afternoon, I just started going, man, I don't, I don't feel the best. And then I woke up Monday, and I felt like I got hit by a truck. And I was like, man, I don't feel like doing anything. And spent time, you know, just getting in it, reading it. It was, it was more of one of those things when you get, you guys notice when you get sick, it's hard to focus. Like you stare at a computer screen, and I felt like I stared at a, a cursor that just blinked at me a lot. And, and I had a, a lot of those moments, and then I started getting into it, and I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through a, a lot, right? That's, that was the plan. I'm going to get through a lot of this. Uh, chapter 7 is quite a few verses, and I thought, well, I'm going to at least get through halfway of this thing. And, and then I, I didn't make it very far, which I feel like I've said that a lot up here to you guys, um, that I just don't make it very far. But get, get through it, and then I come in this morning, and I have sort of my routine every Sunday. It's, it's just a thing I do. It's, it's what I'm comfortable with. And um, I, I get here this morning, and, and everything got thrown out of whack. Um, multiple printers in the building did not work. They wouldn't print, so I couldn't print out my mess. So I literally had to get in my truck, turn around. I had to drive back to the house um, to get my stuff printed. And I told Leona this at one point. I don't know if you remember this. Um, I, I used to always print my messages before I'd come to church. So I'm like, I just know this happens. And I'm like, I always. And then I just sort of stopped doing it. And then, of course, today, you know, it, it happens. And so um, I called my wife, and I just... I was telling her, I think I was venting more than anything, and, uh, and then during, in my venting, I just said, I said, well, here's the, the reality, is um, God just needs to show up, and, and she goes, she goes, well, of, of course, all the time, um, and I was like, yes, and I said, well, actually, he's, he's here all the time, we know that, um, but it really is, I, I feel like in my weakness um, today, God was just, he'll have to be strong, which I know he always is, because I just, I feel like I'm super inadequate today because of all the stuff, and so I don't say that for extra grace from you, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm like sharing my, some of my stuff with you, we all have stuff, right, we all, we all go through things, um, and, and the beauty of it is in the midst of what we're going through, what we're facing, and, and what we're experiencing, like God is still in the midst of that. Like, God is the God of our valleys. God is the God of our, of our mountaintops. And sometimes I forget that God is the God of the valley. Um, I, I go, God is only the God of the mountaintop. I got to go to the mountaintop. I got to have that experience. And uh, I, I feel like I'm being reminded more the older I get that God is the God of the valley. And I think there's, there's definitely a deeper um, work, a, a better work that is done in the valley seasons of life than, than even the mountaintops. Mountaintops are great. But uh, I think most of us spend a lot, time, a lot more time in the valley seasons. And so, um, man, if you're in that season of life, just be encouraged today that God is with you. Like, God, God sees you, and he's there. And so, as we jump in today, um, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna navigate some of this. Not all of it. We're going to navigate some of it. Because this is a, definitely a longer chapter, longer um, uh, 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 chapter than, than chapter 6. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to dive in here. Now, as we know, Paul is writing 1 Corinthians as a, as a response to, um, 
Chloe's letter. Uh, he receives this letter from, uh, from Chloe. We're not sure if Chloe is uh, a, a, a man or a woman. We don't know. According to the ancient sort of writings, it could have been either. We're not sure. Um, but, but we know that he's writing in response to some, some things that he's received, some correspondence that, that he's gotten, probably multiple pieces of correspondence. Um, we know that he's, uh, this isn't the first writings from Paul to the church, to the group, to the believers there in Corinth. But yet, this is the one that we have. It is the first of two that we have, and, and he's, now, um, he's now going to be uh, ad- he's addressing the, the believers. Now, chapters 1 through 6, of course, uh, Paul is really addressing the, the, uh, the issues that he's heard about. The things that the church, the believers are, are, are facing or dealing with, um, things that he hears about that are going on within the church, amongst the believers. He's, he's actually writing, and of course we've gone through them now, he's being very stern and being very direct. But I always want to preface and, and say this, that sometimes we read those and we go, man, it sounds like Paul's being really harsh. It sounds like he's really, you know, he's really coming down on, on this group. And, and I would say it this way, I would say, yes, that's true, that's, that's accurate, but you got to remember that this is a church and, and this is a group of believers that Paul cares deeply for. I mean, he, he planted this church. He, uh, he, he loves this church. He loves this city. He loves these people. He's, uh, as he's writing and addressing them, I can imagine that he's, he's imagining the people. Like, he's, he's imagining, you know, the, the encounters and the stories and, and the multiple moments, you know, over coffee that he's had with certain, um, you know, new converts. And he's, he's talking to them. He's encouraging them. They're asking questions. And he's trying to explain the gospel to them. And so Paul has a deep love for this church, and I think it comes across, like, out of his deep love, he, he comes across, and he's being pretty stern, but it's because he cares so much. And it's like we do as parents, right? I mean, there are moments with my kids, I come across pretty stern with my kids, it's because I love them so much. In fact, I'll even tell them. I go, man, I love you so much. That's why I'm telling you this. That's why I'm doing this. It's because I love you. And at all the kids, every kid in the history of kids is always like, Nope, that's not true, right? That's not true. And, and yet, as a parent, you know it is true. And I'm like, and then I say what my parents said. I'm like, well, you'll know this one day when you have kids, right? It's just the same old line, and I, and I say it, and I use it. But I, I hope it works, and one day when they have kids, it will. Like, they'll understand how I feel. And then I come down on them. I, I come across really harsh because... Of my love, and I think Paul is—it's the same thing in those first six chapters. It's—it's it's going. Look, look, my, my, what seems like really harsh words are—they're birthed out of love, and affection for this church and for you guys as believers. Because ultimately, Paul wants them to live their best life with Christ. Like he wants that for them. And then chapters seven through sixteen, Paul is going to begin addressing. The questions that they have. Now, I, I would have loved to have read sort of the correspondence that he received. I would have loved to have that document and actually have gone through that. It would have been incredible to read all that. But he's going to address uh, all the concerns. In fact, the opening verse in chapter 7 says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So immediately Paul is going to step in. He's going he's to begin answering the questions. And so the first chapter 7 is really about marriage and divorce. 
He's going to start answering the questions they have about marriage and divorce. I, I have a feeling that they knew um, quite a few things. They had the, the, the words and the teachings of Jesus, but yet they still had some questions about what they were reading and hearing, what was being explained to them. I mean, come on, we're, we're, we're over 2,000 years later. We have this. We got, we got guys with doctoral degrees who spent their entire lives studying the words of Jesus, and yet we still have questions about Jesus. So you can imagine how these guys felt back then, right? I mean, think about it. They're going... They're not too far removed, and they're going, man, we got some questions about what Jesus says when it comes to marriage and divorce and being remarried, and what does this look like, and what does it mean to be single, and what is it, all, we got a lot of questions, and they're trying to figure that out. And then in chapters 8, 9, 10, and, and some in 11, he's going to address questions about, that they had about just sort of like personal liberty, like what they're free to do and not to do. You know, they're walking along, and they, they, they see, um, you know, a hamburger stand, and they go, man, that food, that hamburger looks really good, and I'm gonna, I'd like to eat that hamburger. But somebody goes, hey, that hamburger, though, was sacrificed to that idol, that meat, and so I don't know that you should eat that meat. So they're going, well, is it, is it good? Is it okay? I think, I think Christ came to set us free, and we have freedom in Christ, but do we have freedom in Christ to be able to eat the hamburger that was sacrificed to that idol? We're not quite sure. I'm using a silly example. You know that, right? But that's, that's, what they're at. that's what they're trying to figure out. They're trying to understand some of the personal freedoms and liberties. Do we, what, what do we have? And that's, that's going to happen in chapters 8, 9, 10, and partially in 11. And then in 11, 12, 13, 14, he really gets into uh, issues of church order and, and, and exercising and using uh, spiritual gifts. So what he's going to start talking about, what does that look like to, to use spiritual gifts and exercise spiritual gifts? We, we've been to churches, come on, we've all been to churches that you're going, man, I, I feel like there is no exercise of any gift at all, right? This is a giftless church, you know? Am I allowed to say that? You're like, boy, somebody needs to exercise a gift in this place. And then we've all been to churches where you're like, whoa, that's abusive pretty much on how, like, that's not right. Right? Am I, can I say that? Is that okay? And, and, and then we've been to churches where you go, man, I, I feel like the way in which the gifts of the Spirit are being used all throughout, it's beautiful. And when it's being used correctly and it's done right, it's a beautiful thing. And, 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 and God's moving and we see it. I mean, if you walk out of a church service and you go, that kind of felt like maybe God was working, you're going, that's not right. Like, that's not how we should ever respond. And so, there should be just a definite yes. Man, the Spirit of God was moving. The gifts were moving. And so Paul's going to talk a lot about that. He's going to talk a lot about what does it look like to, for, for the gifts to be used within the body. Because they had a ton of questions. I mean, again, we still have questions. We're still debating this some 2,000 plus years later on certain things. Right? Am I, am I losing you guys? Okay, you're quiet on me today. That's right. Because I have the, the Rona. I get it. Okay. Doctrinal questions is going to be uh, chapter, chapter 15. And that's a long, it's like a behemoth of a chapter. Um, really long. And uh, really, they're, they're asking questions about the, the, what happens to us, our physical bodies, so that with the physical resurrection. They're curious. Like, what happens? It's kind of some weird language there. Like, what happens to our bodies? We're physically resurrected, then what? What goes on? They're going to talk about that. And the final chapter is really... Is, the, is like the closing. It's the epilogue. He's going he's gonna to close it out and, um, 
and you know, give sort of the, the final instructions in chapter 16. So Paul, in chapter 7, begins the, the quest of answering and, and sort of going through all of the, the questions, all the things that they have. Today, of course, if, if you have your Bible and you have the heading, you can just see right up top, it's going to talk about the very thing that all of us face. The, the very thing that all of us uh, are going to deal with at, at some point in life. Now, I know your heading might say marriage, but you can almost replace that with just simply relationships. It's really about relationships. If you strip everything away out of life, everything you've ever worked for, ever done, all the thing, your job title, whatever it is, whatever you have had at one point, whatever you have currently, wherever you're at, life really boils down to relationships. Does it not? I mean, it really does. It boils down to your relationship with God, whether that relationship is good or bad, whether it is existent or or non-existent. Every single one of us has to deal with or, or hold account our relationship with the Father, the vertical relationship within our life. And then all of us have what we call the horizontal relationships. It's the relationship with people. Whether those are good or bad, whether they're existent or not. That no matter what, all of us deal with relationships in this life. And because relationships are really the, the essential or the basics of life, they can either provide us with really deep satisfaction through this life, or they can provide us with really deep pain in this life, and really everything in between. I would have to say that every relationship I've ever had is it either brought me deep satisfaction, brought me deep pain, or it's brought me everything in between. And so when we look at a chapter like this, and we look at it, and we go, oh, it's, it's about marriage, I'm exempt from that because of my situation or my status, I go, no, 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 actually, this is really a chapter that's about relationship. Now, marriage is part of that, yes, but it really has to do with relationship. And so Paul's going to address some of these, um, these questions here today. Okay, so here we go. Let's start in, uh, in verse 1. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Can, can I just pause there? I didn't get very far. Um, because we're talking about relationships, and, and we're going to be talking about, you know, um, sexual matters, I'm just, I'm making my disclaimer right now that the the, the conversations might be PG-13. They won't be R, don't worry, but might be PG-13. So I'm I'm just letting you know that in advance. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you get, some of you start sweating and and everything in between. That's all right. Okay. It, it, It says this, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality... Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So question one, just sort of right out of the gate, is, uh, is, is, pretty, is a hard one. Let's be honest, a difficult one. Paul uh, Paul's going to address sort of this question that they had. And uh, again, I, I, it really does make me wish I could read how they wrote, like what they were exactly asking, but... Paul immediately says, or they say, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, 
This was probably a statement that was made by the believers, the Corinthian believers at this time. And really it was a statement that they're asking Paul to agree with. They were hoping that Paul would go, yes, that is accurate. That is 100%, like that is good. To avoid uh, sexual immorality, you should just avoid any kind of sexual situation whatsoever. Now, I think it's odd because really what they're asking and what they're, what they're hoping for is they're saying that they're just wanting complete celibacy. That's basically what they're saying. They're saying that there should just be complete celibacy all the time, no matter what. In fact, in, in many translations, it says it this way. It says a man um, should not touch a woman. In the ESV, which I'm using today, it says it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So they probably figured that if sexual immorality was such a danger that the only way that you could stay completely pure was abstaining from sex, even in marriage. Now try that one on for size. Some guys are like, well, why did we get married? Right? I mean, it's, I mean you're going, that, think about this for a moment. This is the question that they're asking. Like, this is what they're thinking. They're like, hey, even in marriage. So, let me break this down. In, in this culture, some believed that to be more holy, you should get married, and then once you were married, you should abstain from sex. That's what they believed. I have so many thoughts about that, and I just can't go into them all. Paul then is going to, is addressing, and he says, listen, because of the danger, because of the dangers, the pressures of sexual immorality within the culture, not only within the culture then, but actually within the culture today, he says, listen, it is okay and it is appropriate for a husband and wife to have each other sexually. Paul is not commanding by any stretch of the imaginations that people should or have to get married. In fact, he'll deal with that uh, in some other chapters. But he's commanding them. He's saying, listen, if you're going to be married, you need to live as a married couple. Especially when it comes to the sexual side of marriage. Like, he's like, you can live that way. It is okay. I have to drink before I go on. Now, in the same way, though, Paul is also going to say that sex is not, only, it is not the only reason to be married or it's, it's not the most important reason for marriage. Paul is simply just answering sort of their specific question about, hey, do you consider it more holy that if you marry and stay celibate, is that get you some like higher place within God's kingdom? Paul's like, no. Not at all. In fact, I mean, he doesn't say it, but I think Paul's probably going, that's, that's like loony business you're, you're talking about right there. 
Paul goes into more sort of the theological side of marriage in Ephesians 5 and, and in Colossians 3, if you want more information on that. Paul is simply, though, he, he's stating what is normal, like what's ordained by God. What God said in Genesis 2. Man should not be alone. Paul says, listen, marriage is a gift. That's a gift. I hope if you're married in the room, you believe that's a gift. Again, I feel like I've tried to set the guys up so many times to say amen, and they don't say amen. Marriage is a gift. I love that Heather was staring at Peter, and Peter's looking at his phone, ignoring. It was amazing. (laughs) But let me say this as well, and Paul will talk about this. Singleness is also a gift. And I, and I want to make sure we, we know that. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is also a gift. And I think too often uh, in the Christian circles, uh, guys like me, pastors and church leaders, we're always trying to like pressure people that they need to get married, you should get married. We need to, we need to make sure we remind people marriage is a beautiful thing and it is a gift from God and people that choose to get married and that need to get married, that's a gift. That's, that's great. But those that are able to stay single and be single, that is also a gift. And people need to hear that. Like, we're, we're, we tend to be bad. And I'm one of those people where I joke about it. I'm like, single, ready to mingle, let's go. You know, all this stuff. But the reality is, is that's a gift. And we see that in this chapter. That Paul's going, no, singleness is a gift from God. Those who are able to stay single, that's a beautiful thing. It really is. The problem is when married people act like single people. That's when it becomes a problem. Did you hear what I just said? When married people want to act like they're single, that's when we get in trouble. Or when a single person wants to act like they're married. That's where we start getting in trouble. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. But when a married person decides that they want to act like they're single, that's a problem. And when a single person wants to act like they're married, that's a problem. Now we've set outside, we, we stepped outside the bounds of what God has set up. All right, verse 3. Let's keep going. Anybody else sweating, or is it just me? All right, just me. Great. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. I told my wife I'm going to highlight that verse in my Bible. (laughs) For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. This section of verses, I feel like, has, there's so much in here. We could spend so much time on this. I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to do my best to unpack this as best I can. In some translations, yours might say this, the word conjugal is actually replaced with the word affection. I don't know if you have that in your version. Um, I, I read some versions where it actually uses the word affection instead of conjugal. So it says, instead of a, uh, of a man not to touch a woman or have sexual relations with her, talking about the spouse, talking about within marriage, a husband must provide his wife conjugal rights or the affection that is due her. In other words, it is wrong for him to withhold affection from his wife or the conjugal rights. The, 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 the affection that is due her. Since Paul is really meaning to apply this to every Christian marriage, it tells us that every wife is owed affection. Her, her conjugal right is owed to her. Now, I, I know for many we, we think that and we just immediately think sexually, that is part of it, yes, that is part of the, the, what, what Paul is meaning when he talks about the conjugal rights or the affection due her. But it's not just sexually. It, it really is, it goes deeper than that. It's the true affection that is due to her. It, it, it's, it's the romantic side as well. It's not just the physical side. It goes beyond that to the, the, the romantic. Listen, there, there are some things, as we know, that women desire that are way, like, mean way more than, to them than just sexual in nature. And so, as, as fellas, as men, it's oftentimes like, hey, I'm just doing this to, to get to, you know, home plate. And the reality is, can I say that? Is that okay? Annette put her hand in her, uh, her head in her hand when I said that. But it's more than that. And we can be guilty of that, right, fellas? Like, let's just be honest. Come on, this is church. Can we not have, like, real talk in church? Like, we have to understand that our wives, they, they are needing more than just the, the back rub that leads to more. Amen? And there is time that needs to be spent. There is time that needs to be spent wooing and still dating our, our wives and caring for them and loving them without always hoping it leads to something else. And we can get in real trouble when we go down this path and we're always kind of going like, hey, I'm doing this so that. It's like, no, no, no. There's not some ulterior motive. It's other just that there is an affection that is due to our spouses, our wives. We love them. We care for them. We want to show them that. But in the same way, the wife is not to withhold from her husband. And Paul is reminding the believers then, and he's reminding us today, that there is a mutual responsibility in marriage. The husband has an obligation towards his wife, and the wife has obligations towards her husband. The husband should, and I, and I love this word right here, it says should give to his wife. 
this is so important. The emphasis here is on giving. It is, I owe you instead of you owe me. Let me say that again. I owe you instead of you owe me. I believe in God's heart, sex, sexual relationships, marriage relationships is put on a much higher level than merely the husband's privilege and the wife's duty. And this, these verses, this package of verses here can, can, in my opinion, be abused instead of being really actually unpacked and, and really delved into and looked at. This puts a really high level of responsibility on both the husband and the wife. Now, there is a line in here that really flies in the face of, of our culture. It actually flew in the face um, of their culture somewhat, but it really flies in the face of our culture today. I mean, especially within the last 50 years with the feminist movement and all that's been going on with that. Like, th this line here, you, you just want to you, you cause all kinds of issues. Like, you just, you just say this line right here. Just quote from the Bible. It says, for the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. I mean, you want to cause a whole big stink. If you go down into Santa Cruz, you know, on, on Pacific Avenue, just go, I'm going to quote you a verse. The wife does not have authority over her body, but her husband does. I mean, you might get, I mean, you might get something thrown at you, you know what I mean? It causes all kinds of issues. I mean, we know that, right? Especially today with my body, my choice, all this stuff. And Paul says, no, no, no. Your body, his choice. I know you think it's sexist because that's what we've been taught, but that's literally what it says out of God's word. But then you continue reading, and it says, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. It's reciprocal, right? It's not one-sided. It's not just the wife has to submit only and the husband doesn't have to. It's both. In fact, both of these duties are so, like, concrete. It could be said that the wife's body does not even belong to herself but to her husband. And the same principle is true of the husband's body regarding his wife. And then Paul really gives us three sort of parameters of, of why you would withhold. Why you would withhold sex from your spouse. He says it here in these verses. He says, number one, he says that there's a mutual agreement. He says that you mutually come down and you have to agree. He says you're going to sit down and like talk about this. He says, two, he says, uh, you're going to agree beforehand, and there's going to be a time frame. I, I, look, I don't know about you, but my wife, have ne we've never done this. As I was reading this and, and unpacking this this week, I'm like, I've, I've, I'm guilty. I don't think I've ever done this. I don't think we've done this. And then the third is the reason. The reason is that you're going to give yourself for a time to prayer and to fasting. And the reason that you do this is found in verse 5. 
It says, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The reason that we're going to abstain from this or stop is because we're going to take some time together to actually grow deeper within our relationship, our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the reason. That's the only reason we're going to do this. I mean, this is hard to hear, is it not? Like This, this flies in, in the face of all things that we hear about in culture. I was thinking about it this week, and I'm like, I, I gave my whole self. When we walked down those aisles and we stood at the altar some 20 years ago, I gave all of myself to my wife. I, I'm hers. I, I'm, I serve her and what she needs. And her with me. It's the same thing. And what we've been taught culturally is that sex is a weapon that we use against the opposite sex, our spouse. Right? That's what we've been taught. It's never a weapon that we fight with. It's a tool that we build with. Very different. We don't use it as a weapon to fight with. I mean, how often you ended up going, like, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did this. You're not getting any for weeks. Right? I mean, come on. Or I'm sleeping in the other room and I'll be gone. Those kind of things. Now, let me say this, though. This does not in any um, form... allow for any kind of sexual abuse. And I want you to hear my heart on that. Because I, the things I'm saying, I'm talking about in, in the purest sense, in, in a marriage relationship. And some of you may have stories that you have been abused by somebody. They've taken advantage of you, of somebody you love. And so as I'm talking about this, I'm not just saying that you just have to do whatever and there's no boundaries. That's not what I'm saying. So please hear my heart on that. I'm saying in the marriage relationship, there is open dialogue, open communication, and it's a beautiful thing in the purest sense of the form. And there are, there are moments, and for people there are stories that it's gone too far and there's been sexual abuse within those relationships. And if, and if that's you, I, I just want to say I'm so sorry and God loves you, and he still has a plan for you. And I want to, if, if you need, like, if you need to meet with somebody and talk to somebody, we can help find that for you. Like, please know that. What we're talking about here is, we're talking about simply the, the beauty within the marriage relationship at its purest form. The way God intended it to be. That we're sacrificially giving to one another. Verse 7, it says this, I wish that... All were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God. 
one of one kind and one of another. We know that Paul, when he wrote this, was unmarried at the time, that Paul was single. There's been hints that Paul was actually married at one point. We are not sure if that's the case. Um, Jews, Jews considered marriage really a duty and an obligation. Jewish men, by the time they were about 20 years old, uh, if they weren't married, they were considered um, maybe excluded from heaven and not even real men. And so it was really frowned upon if, if they weren't married. And so um, there's been speculation that Paul might have been married. In fact, in Acts 26, Paul talks about casting his vote, that he was there, which means he was a part of the San, Sanhedrin. And you had to be married to be a part of that. So there's speculation that possibly Paul was married. Again, we don't know. The Bible doesn't specifically say. So we go, well, we just think he's single, but we're not sure. Maybe uh, if Paul was married, maybe his, uh, his wife passed away. Uh, maybe she left him once he was converted and uh, had his encounter with Christ. Again, we don't know. We're not sure what happened. But I love the line... And I hope this encourages you. And I talked about it earlier. It says, um, Paul says that marriage and singleness are both a gift from God. And I love it because Paul is really quoting, and he's, he's talking out of Matthew chapter 19. He's really uh, using Jesus' words when he's going through this, and he's, he's unpacking this. That singleness is a gift, and marriage is also a gift. Many people find themselves in the trap, whether they're married or single, wishing that they were the opposite of whatever it is. If you're married, been married a long time, you might be going through a rough time and you go, man, I just wish I was single again. And if you're single, you may wish, go, man, I, I, I just wish I could find somebody. I, w- I wish I would be married. And, and if that's you, I, I pray that if that's your desire, that happens for you one day. But just know that as we see here, Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, that singleness is a gift. And if you can be single and continue to serve the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. That each state is a gift from God. I want to end today by reading out of the message version these passages of Scripture. As I was wrapping this up and kind of going through this this week, I, I came across the message version of this, and I just thought it beautifully summed up, way better than I will, will be able to do it, but it just summed up um, what these verses are saying, kind of in a, in a simpler form. And again, I, this is just a paraphrase. Uh, the message is not a translation. We don't count it as a translation. It's just a paraphrase version. And this is what it says. It says, Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letters to me, first... Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. 
Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has a way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm, I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. What a great way to summarize sort of that passage of of Scripture. Will you guys stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that um, we could spend just a few moments unpacking it and and trying to dive into it, even though, God, there's there's so much there, and I'm sure even some of the things I said today probably bothered and offended, and, and, you know, and if I did, I I apologize in advance. That's not my heart. And, God, I pray for those in the room that that are married, God, I pray for, God, their marriages right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that their homes and their marriages would be just covered by your spirit, Lord. God, that their marriages would be just a, a beacon of light for, um, for your purposes and for your plan. God, I pray that intimacy in, in, in their marriage would be a beautiful thing, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for those that are single. God, be with them as well. God is one they're, they're striving to abstain. I, I know there's so many pressures for so many, and so God, I just pray that you would, you would guard their hearts and their minds in the name of Jesus. God, the call that you have on some to remain single and stay single, I thank you for that. I thank you for the, for the gift that you've given them. Um, it's a gift that I don't have, but it's a gift they have, and so I, I, I honor that gift publicly right now. What an amazing gift that is. And God, as they continue to be able to serve you without some of the distractions and, and the things that I have, that we have as, as married people, God, um, I, I just pray that you continue to use those that are single for your glory and for your kingdom. Father, may we as a church, whether married or single, God, may we represent Jesus well as we go about our our daily lives. May we honor you. May we reflect you. May we truly be salt and light as we go out from this place. We love you so much. And everybody said, amen.